And it says his name, in his name that we gather. Amen. And while we gather in his name, our, our hope is that we'll sense his presence in the room. We'll sense that he's here. He's the friend of sinners. He's the healer of broken hearts. He's the maker of a way when there seems to be no way. He is the truth when we're not sure who else we can believe. And he is life. He is the life. Even when it seems as if ours may be fading and those around us may be weakening. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And he said, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. So, you know, we're just sort of stuck with each other forever. You know, uh, those who know the Lord as Savior and Lord, our, our uh, physical appearance is not always going to be the same. They say that place called heaven is where there's no sin and there's no residue of sin. And aging is a residue of sin. So when we are in the presence of the Lord, we're absent of everything that sin has taken its toll on in our lives. Well, with that being said, I'm just glad you're all here, glad, glad that uh, we're together in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are wherever you may be scattered around the country and around the world. Let me, let me just make a shocking statement to some of you who have known only city-dwelling life. We're all farmers. We're all farmers, whether you love the city or crave the country, whether you work in an office or you drive a John Deere tractor, whether you eat tomatoes or grow tomatoes, we're all sowing seeds and we will all reap a harvest. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, make no mistake, God is not going to be mocked. Whatever a man, whatever a person sows, that's exactly what the person will reap. So you sow kindness and you get kindness back. You sow diligence, and you reap the rewards of diligence. You sow generosity, and generosity has a way of just coming back at you in time. In time and in ways that we don't expect, the law of the harvest happens. And it holds endless possibilities. I want you to find Galatians chapter 5 just to, that I referenced just a moment ago. Actually, it's Galatians chapter 6, but we'll look back at Galatians chapter 5 in a minute. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Again, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, the one who sows to selfishness, the one who's such as, who sows in such a way that he gives the impression or she gives the impression that it's all about me. I evaluate people in the light of what they, how they can benefit me. I evaluate opportunities or circumstances in the light of how I'm benefited. The one who sows to the own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. That is a multiple-syllable word for the other words, decay, ruin, and death. The one who sows to his own flesh in time shall reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life, unending, full of real life, life. So he says, and let us not lose heart in doing good. Let us not lose heart in sowing the right seeds, sowing the things that will result in the things that we want to come back at us. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. I want to just speak right into the hearts of a bunch of folks that I'm, I just believe are, are here and within the sound of our time together this morning, our, our study in the Word. Some of you just just really wondering, has it been worth it? Has it, has it been worth it to try to show love? Has it been worth it to try to be kind? Has it been worth it to do generous things that just can wonder if it's even noticed, if, it's, if there's ever going to be anything coming back. That, that place of, of losing heart in sowing the seeds, and maybe you have really pondered this at one time in your life and, and, and wanted it to be um, happening for you in this, in this way, that that the seeds that you sow would come back, but you have a hesitation as to whether or not it's really working for you. I want to take us right back to where our faith can be anchored. Not, not in people and not in our efforts, not in our wishes and our dreams, but that place of anchoring our hope in the solid Word of God. The Scripture says that the Word of the Lord, the Word of the Lord is settled in heaven. In other words, it can't be shaken. The Word of the Lord, spoken and referenced in Isaiah chapter 55, the Word of the Lord will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which the Lord has sent it. Just like the rain comes and the grass comes up, my word will accomplish exactly the purpose that I have sent it to accomplish. So when we talk about this, this reality that we'll describe or put in this phrase, the law of the harvest, 
The law of the harvest is not determined by a democracy. The law of the harvest is not determined by financial clout. The law of the harvest is not determined by whether or not we really wish it and we want it to happen. The law of the harvest is a fact in the heart of God, in the reality of who he is. He says that he can't be mocked, that you're not, gonna, you're not going to find something to ridicule him about in this regard. He will not be mocked. Whatever a man or a person sows, that's what the person is going But farmers can't be impatient people. Now, I reckon some of them can be. You know, they, they work the field, get the seed in, cover the seed back up, but they just know that it's not gonna, it's not gonna start showing the evidence of life coming from that seed by daylight the next morning. They put the seed in, and it's a specific act. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna sow Milo and get and get, and, and get um, oranges out of it. You, you, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna put a tomato seed in the ground and get an oak tree out the other side. The seed you put in the ground is the plant that's gonna grow. So God said, Don't, you're, not, you, you're not gonna mock me in that. The reality is what you plant Specifically what you plant in time is specifically what's going to grow. So the farmer buys into the law of the harvest. He has to believe, she has to believe that if I plant it and it gets watered in time, the harvest that I'm hoping for, at least some measure of it, is going to come up. How, how, do we, how do we translate that into the relationships with people and even in our relationships with the Lord? I want you to look again at Galatians, but look, look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is which is the evidence of the life of the Spirit of Jesus working in the heart of the Christian. As the life of Jesus works inside you and me, here are the things that are going to just naturally, supernaturally start evidencing themselves in our lives. Love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The evidence that Jesus is really in us, not, not just we're trying to copy an external standard, but that Christ on the inside really is happening. That's what the name Christian is supposed to mean, Christ on the inside, right? We, we, don't, we don't knock it over the fence every day. We, 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 don't, we don't do everything right like we ought to all the hours of the day. 
But the more Jesus Christ is alive inside you and me, the more of his presence is going to be revealed and manifest out through our lives. So it doesn't matter what your personality used to be before Jesus came in your life. It doesn't matter if we were a wallflower and you couldn't even say hello to the owner of the house or your homeroom teacher when you walked in. So shy, so, so afraid and hesitant of anything. Or if you walk in and you can't keep your mouth shut, you talk to everything that moves. You're greeting everything, including the house cat that you never met. It doesn't matter what we used to be, what we were before. When the living presence of the actual, literal, real Jesus moves inside your chest and begins to operate with his mind influencing our mind, we have the mind of Christ. Remember that verse. Then these things, these attributes, these characteristics, without us grunting and straining and trying to make it happen, it just starts growing out from us. His love, his joy. His peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, all of these that are listed there, it's the manifesting of the presence of Jesus inside your body and shining out through our lives. And again, we're, we're gonna, that will be expressed in different ways. We're not all going to be preachers in a sense of a vocation. We're not all going to be a, a musician or a writer, but right where you are, doing what you do, the Lord who called you and put you where he's put you and is alive inside you, these things will begin to come out. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness. You take that, tie that in with the law of the harvest. Sowing the seeds into the lives of other people. Loving them when they really need to be loved. Loving them in ways that maybe nobody else sees that they've got that gap in their lives. But you you have a sense, you just care for them. That they just matter to you. Somewhere or another, you're just drawn to them. And this kind of love is, is the highest form of love. It's the choice kind of love. It's the supreme commitment to a person, but it, it's this agape kind of love that means that the Lord saw us in our mess and saw us in our sins and saw us when we didn't have anything to offer him back and still he wanted us. Still, for God so loved the world. Well, the world wasn't in church. The world hadn't said, I believe in God. The world hadn't done anything except be chasing its own dreams and doing itself. But God so loved that world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That kind of love comes to work inside the heart of a believer, someone in whom Jesus is making his presence known more and more. And we begin to sow the seeds of that kind of love, that kind of unconditional love, that kind of I'm, I want to help you, I want to be a part of your life, I want to encourage you, I want to, I want to bless you in ways that I can. And they say, well, why are you doing that? I don't even know why I'm doing that. Just like I don't know why God would love me, but because he's first loved me, I'm loving you. I love you. But then joy, joy, joy. Sowing 
the seeds of joy in the lives of other people. You know, there's some of us that really it would just help a whole lot if we felt like that the Lord really was giving us permission to spread a little joy in this world. Because what happens is we can get to thinking the world is so sorry. The world is so full of losers. The world is so far down the toilet that you don't even need to flush it. So how could there be any joy when the Lord would be wanting, would be wanting us to know I have put my joy, or maybe some of us need to realize that he is the God of joy. It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. We don't have any joy in our lives, and we're not strong. So where do we get the joy when the world's coming loose? It's his joy. It's his joy. You have to realize that I have permission in my relationships with people to sow seeds of joy. Just to do some stuff for them or convey some things to them, give them some things, bless them with some things, just cause it'll make them happy. Just cause it'll make them smile. How many things has the Lord given you that have made you smile, have made you just laugh out loud, have made you just think, no, my life, my, my, all of my life isn't, isn't that bad because this makes me smile. This gives me joy. Sowing the law of the harvest. If you don't have much joy coming back at you, you may not have made very many people joyful. The law of the harvest. What we sow, what we sow, that's what we get back. There's conviction in that, but there's also encouragement. We got permission to encourage people. We don't have to come in and straighten the whole world out. The prophets in the Old Testament were given very definite assignments. They were to speak forth for the Lord, but get this. They were not given permission to speak what the Lord had shown them was true in a situation where there needed to be repentance or there needed to be return to the Lord. They, had, they did not have the permission to speak that even though they knew it until the Lord gave them permission to speak it. So Jeremiah kept living, with Isaiah kept living in the midst of all the stuff that was going on, though they and others would know what was coming and they would know what the Lord's heart was in all of that and how the people needed to repent. But they couldn't, they, 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 they didn't have permission to just go in and start blistering people and blowing things up because God told me, God told well. You know, you get so off into God told you to tell people stuff that you can lose the joy of your salvation and lose the joy of the Lord. And so there's really no strength in all of the bluster and all of the rebuke that goes on. Sowing the seeds from the fruit of the Spirit into lives. Now, keep in mind, the bottom line is God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. That's the promise of the Lord, that it's coming. There's a harvest coming. So as we're careful to plant the right kind of seeds, we can be assured that in the timing of the Lord, there's going to be a harvest like what we planted in the seeds that will come back. The problem is not everybody's going to get it, you know, not everybody. And so we, we've got one or two or three or four or five people that we're just, we're just sowing and we're sowing and we're sowing and we're sowing and it can seem like that they're not getting it and the truth of the matter is some of them may never get it. 
The harvest, here's the point, the harvest may not come back in the places and with the people and in the settings that we think that it ought to. God, there's a good chance for you to do it. It may and it will many times, but there will be, there'll be some settings and some other numbers of folks here. That your first marriage blew up. Your first marriage didn't work or you had a, have a child, that, that situation in a family and it's, and it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it, it, it's nothing, nothing seems to be reconnecting. So does that mean that this isn't true? It doesn't mean that it isn't true. It just means that we can't see everything from the perspective that the Lord sees it. And that even though some will, some will reject the act of kindness, some will walk all over your expression of love toward them, but instead of turning away from the sowing of those seeds because you believe that what the Lord has said is true, you just keep sowing the seeds. It may not be with just the ones that you originally had intended that you wanted that to come back in the harvest and restoration and all kinds of fruitfulness in the relationship. That, that, that may happen. That may come one day. But folks, listen, even if it doesn't happen with them, God will not be mocked. You sow the seeds of love. You sow the seeds of kindness. You sow the seeds of patience. You sow, sow the seeds of mercy. And you will see it happen in your time that that will be the harvest that comes back at you. Amen. Now, we'll hold on to that. We, we need to hold on to that. God will not be mocked. And so when the enemy comes to you and he's trying to discourage you and shut you down and say, well, what's the use? What's the use? What's it all about? What's the use? You better be able to say, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trusting in my ability to change somebody's opinion of me. I'm not looking to what I might be able to do, what others might be able to do to fix the situation. I'm anchoring my heart on the promise of my God's word to me. And his word to me is that what I sow, he will see to it that I reap it. In his timing, it requires patience. Not gonna happen necessarily the next day. Whatsoever a man sows, and that's a present active tense verb as Paul uses it here, sows and keeps, keeps on sowing. Not just something way back yonder, but this is something that you make a habit of. It's something that's a part of, a part of your life. So let me encourage you just, just to keep on operating out of the joy of the Lord in your heart. Don't you let some sourpuss, some cranky knucklehead shut you down. It may be that as they try to do those things to shut you down and back you off, that you'll find the Spirit of the Lord just gets even stronger inside you. And you just want to keep loving them and keep blessing them and keep being patient with them and keep showing kindness toward them. Because even if they don't get it, your faith is in the God of heaven. He sees what you're doing and he knows where to apply those planted seeds in those relationships. Okay? Ask you to turn, go from Galatians to, um, to the book of James real quick. Book of James, book of James, book of James, right after Hebrews. All right. Let me just read starting in chapter one, verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. The perfect law, the law of liberty. Now watch this. There is a direct connection between the law of the harvest spoken of in Galatians chapter 6 and what James is talking about here. The perfect law, the law of liberty. The perfect law, the perfect expression of the law would have to be none other than the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying to the Christians, if you look intently at the perfect law, the expression of the law, the complete expression, not, not the immature or incomplete expression, but also it means the law uh, this in, in the form that it's intended to be in. If you look at Jesus, you see him in that way, it's the perfect law, but then he uses this descriptive term, it's the law of liberty. The perfect law as seen in Jesus Christ is also understood to be the law of liberty. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is about being set free. Knowing the real Christ is not a stack of rules, not a list of regimens. Knowing Jesus is about from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, what it means to really be free. Free from, free to, free in the middle of. Okay, the spirit of liberty. But there's also another word, another way to translate this, this liberty word. It's the word generosity. The perfect law, the law of generosity. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of generosity, and abides by it, lives by that, not having become a forgetful who were but a hearer but an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed, this person shall be blessed in whatever he does. Sometimes we get the thought, well, when I first come to the Lord, when I first come to Christ, I had these crazy ideas that I needed to, I just needed to give everything I had to the Lord. I mean, I had an, old, had an old Bronco or I had an old Corvair or I had an old whatever, and I just sold it or drove it up to the church parking lot and left the keys in it and said, I'm giving this to the Lord. And then you, we walk back with them and say, how dumb was that? I mean, how crazy was that? It may not be all of the particulars need to be continually moved throughout all the years of our lives. You know, one, one given away car, one given away house, one given away whatever after the other. But I got to tell you, this verse and these words lined up in this verse are very specific. One of the greatest expressions of maturity in Christ. One of the greatest expressions that he is completely, he's doing his work to completion in our hearts. And that he's doing what he's doing in the way that's supposed to work is when we are marked by unexplainable, supernaturally driven generosity. Where it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but I don't need it. The world didn't give it to me. And I don't. the world can't take it away from me, so I'm just giving it. Now, again, we need houses to live in and we need a car or a truck drive to get to work. 
But to grow in Christ means to be free in Christ. And that I'm not bound by the stuff of this world and this life that can shackle me to it and give me a dimmed view of the greatness of my God and the power of his love for me and his ability to take care of me when I don't have two red cents to rub together need be. He will take care of me. He will provide for me. And so I bless and give out of a generous heart believing that what I need, what he knows I need the most, what he knows will thrill me, he in his time will bring it my way. The law of the harvest, the perfect law of generosity, the perfect law of freedom. Now, now leave, leave James, go to your left, book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Now, these are the words of Jesus. These are all in red in your red letter edition. Luke 6, 34. If you lend to those, this is all about the law of the harvest. It's all about the law of generosity, of being, being marked by generosity, not by chintziness, not by how much we keep, but by how much we're able to let go of. It doesn't own us. Verse 34, if you, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, those who don't know the Lord, walk with the Lord, even they lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Now, he's not discounting business situations and arrangements. not saying that. But, but if we're expecting to get a whole bunch of credit from heaven, you know, that we've entered into a legal arrangement, a legal binding arrangement, and we are lawyered up, to make sure we get that debt paid if they default on. We got something to go back to. It's like Jesus is saying, that, you know, that's business, but don't expect there a bunch of, bunch of be applause and hallelujahs and attaboy coming out of heaven. That's just business. But, but what, what's different is if, if, it, if you're not expecting return. If you lend, but you're not expecting return, that's different. So, so what does that do? So he says, even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. So then he goes on 35. But love your enemies and do good. Do good to who? The enemies. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Now watch this. And your reward will be great. Your harvest will come in. Your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself, look at this, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The Lord caused it to rain. We got 14.5 inches from Labor Day down at the ranches we hang out on. Some of you guys will go with us down there for our retreats in Webb County. 14.5 inches from Labor Day to the end of September. And I got to tell you, I, I, I think I can say this that it rained pretty much equally on the church-going people, on the, on the profane people, on the Jesus-loving people, and the ones that hadn't, had, wouldn't know a church door if they drove into it because he's kind. And he does what is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. 
So, so, so what he's saying is when, when, you, when you are loving your enemies, when you're doing something that benefits even those that you know might be ungrateful, you're more like your father in heaven when you're doing that than you are probably at any other time in your life because you're doing what you're doing from a generous heart, from a heart that wants to give. For God so loved the world again that he gave. He gave. At the heart of God is a giving heart. It's a giving. And so when he comes to take possession inside us and we mature in that relationship with him, as James talks about, there's going to be more of a marked generosity operating through our lives than we've ever had before, more than likely. So, be merciful, verse 36, Jesus says, just as your father is merciful. Look at verse 38. Well, let's read 37. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. So, law of the harvest, law of the harvest. You judge, and you're going to get judged. I mean, it's not a rocket science. That's just law of gravity kind of thing. You drop a book, it's going to hit the floor. You judge, and you're going to get judged. So, He's saying in, in, you know, in the silent part of that, that you, you need to be careful when you just start opening your mouth in judgment. And, and don't be surprised if judgment doesn't come back at you. Now, he'll say in other places that, that we are supposed to judge between light and darkness, between right and wrong. We are to discern what would please the Lord and make a judgment there. But this freewheeling, big mouth, opinionated attitude picking people out, shooting them down, taking positions on things. You just need to be careful with that and not be shocked if you get judged back for your judgment. So who, who, when, you, when, you were, when you were the far side of Never Never Land, okay, before the Lord really came to him, and who, who were the ones that he might have a little hint, little, little, little sniff, little, little scent of, of church about them or Christian about them. Who, who were the ones that you'd even let close to you? Was it the ones who walked in the room and you could see it on their face and you could see it grimaced in their teeth that they had already weighed you, counted you, and found you lacking? You know, that, that they just already had an opinion. There was a judgment against you about you. Well, you do that one time, but you have that one, and then you have somebody who just seems like, even though they probably know the details of what you've been doing, they just seem to care about you, care about you. Now, you, the, the outside of you may be a big mess, and the inside of you may be may be cooking and it may be troubled, but you sense from them that they care about you. you and, and, and there's a kindness that comes. There's an open-heartedness that comes. Folks, listen. That's way more the real Jesus than us walking into relationships with a stack of things that folks need to start repenting of and that God won't bless you until you do this and you better if you don't quit that, then this is what's going to happen to you. You, you, get, you get one audience you, you get one shot like that, and you better make it good because you may never see them again. Whereas on the other hand, where we're supposed to speak the truth, we speak it, but we're supposed to speak it in love for the ones that we're speaking it to. 
love for God, love for them. But it also can be that they're not, they're not ready. They're not ready to jettison their worldview at the time. They're not, they're not ready to make a turn. All you're there for in their lives is just to show them there is another option to the way you've been living. And, and they may not do, be doing all the things that you're doing and whatever, but you were somehow drawn to them because they cared about you. They cared about you. I, I remember, I remember a preacher that was a real mentor to me in, a number of years ago, and I'm just a young kid, and, but he, he was well up in his years, 70 years old, but he just had a way of meeting people, and he had a way of leading the ones that he met to faith in Christ. They, they just, they would listen to him. And I, I would, his name was Fred Swank. And I said, Brother Fred, how do you do that? How, how, how is it that there's so many people that just seem to be drawn to you and they'll listen to you and they want to know about, know about Jesus and they want to pray to receive him into their lives? And this was his statement. I never led anybody to Christ who was not first my friend. Who was not first my friend. I never led anybody to Christ who wasn't first my friend. That meant that he believed that he had the same kind of permission that Jesus had when Jesus would set up to speak and here would come the tax gatherers and the sinners, the, the moral reprobates of the day, the, the, the moral irreparables of the day. And instead of running them off, they would, it, it was, Luke will record, they heard him gladly. They sought him out. And when he would get them together, he would spend more time fussing at the, at the religious police, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, than he would getting on to these others. In fact, he didn't go get on to them. He just beckoned them to respond to the mercy of God and the love of God. Folks, listen. We reap what we sow. If in your life as a believer, you have a hard time naming people who have come to faith in Christ as a result of your relationship with them or knowing them, we need to ask ourselves the question, what kind of seeds about Jesus, what kind of seeds about who he is and how he cares about people or doesn't care about people, what kind of seeds are we sowing? Because the promise is, I'm telling you, the promise is, God will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, whatever we sow, that's what we'll reap. Well, I need to get to this verse before we quit. Verse 38, here's Jesus' words. Law of the harvest, perfect law of liberty, just all shot through this. Give, he says, command, give. Plant, sow. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The context of this passage is not specifically identifying 
financial giving and gifting, though it is included, certainly. But it's talking about sowing love even to your enemies, sowing kindness toward those who hadn't shown you any kindness. And in the context of that, the Lord says, you give, you keep on giving, and you keep on sowing, you keep on giving, and you hide in the bushes and you watch what'll happen. The return will start coming back. And he uses a picture of a laundry basket or some kind of a, some kind of a basket used to gather up agricultural products or something. But we'll say, here, here it comes. It will, it will, it'll come over, look at that, verse 38. It will be given good measure, good measure, lots of it. But the lots of it is taking up too much space, so it gets squashed down for the purpose of more coming. So you get some and you're squashing it down, and here it keeps pouring in and you keep squashing it down, and it gets to coming in so fast that you can't even keep it squashed down, and it starts spilling over into your lap. That's what he's saying. Can you get that picture? The law of the harvest, the law of the harvest, the law of the harlots, har uh-oh, the law of the harvest, not the law of the harlots, the law of the harvest. I got to get my word, calm down here, preacher, get your words right. Law of the harvest, law of the harvest. But in his timing and in his way, he brings it back. He brings it back. He brings it back. So, so in your life, what is the area of greatest desire? What do you want most? What do you desire most and wish that you could have? Are you sowing that seed? You know, if a farmer didn't go by the feed store and get the seeds, if he didn't, if he didn't put diesel in that tractor and he didn't, he didn't put the seed where it needs to be in that planter and, and he didn't do it himself or hire somebody to do it, get the seed in the ground, he could be standing there wishing all the, man, the goodness gracious, I hope that corn comes up. Oh, what a week this would be for that Milo to grow. But there are no seeds in the ground. There are no seeds in the ground. He hadn't planted anything. But here's what I pray will quicken your heart. It'll, it'll go off like Roman candles in your heart. God is saying, plant the seed for the harvest that you desire. Plant the seed, plant the seed, plant the seed. The generous seed, the unselfish seed. You plant the seed and you, it's a seed of, of, of mercy, of kindness, of gentleness, of patience, or whatever it would be for the end of the souls of people that you care about and want to touch. Give God time to cause just what he said to do to happen. Now, I got to end it with this because this is, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite subjects. This is some, I, I, there'd be, there could be 50 of you. There could be 500 of you stand up at the back of this building and after I get through this and say, Pastor, I don't believe it. It's not true. It wouldn't phase my conviction and confidence one iota. I'd love you, but you're just wrong. <laughs> Here's where you're wrong. If finances... If finances are the area of your greatest struggle, 
Or it's an area that it just seems to stay tight. It just seems never to, never to get above and break free. And, and there's always something. Here's the question. What have you sown? What kind of seeds are you sowing? The Lord will say, give and it shall be given unto you. But you give and it shall be given. That ties in with that Malachi 3. Here's him saying to Israel, here's why your crops aren't coming up. Here's why the locusts are eating your crops. Here's why the vines are prematurely casting their fruit. It's because you've left me out of your financial equation. You're wanting me to bless from the outside when what I'm saying to you, you make me the center of your financial world and I will promise you, you can test me on this if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great for you to contain. The first question when it comes to financial stringency for the believer is have I been honoring him with the first of that which he's blessed me with? Not if I've paid every other bill and got everybody off my case. It's amazing, you know, he doesn't dun you. He doesn't, he doesn't text you. He doesn't hammer us that we've forgotten that the first 10% belongs to him. He just won't say anything. But the results show up. He says, here's what will happen. What you have won't go far enough. It just keeps getting devoured. It keeps getting, it just keeps, it doesn't go far enough. Opportunities that could make just don't seem to be making. The vines prematurely cast their grapes. But he says, if you'll trust me, if you'll just honor me, if you'll put me first, bring me into your financial world instead of, Lord, help me, I'm in trouble. And I hadn't looked at him, haven't honored him in years or months, and we're, and we're wondering why we're in a big mess. But it's you, you bring me in the middle of it. And here's how you do it. You do the math. You do the math. 10%, first 10%. You know, gross, gross or net, gross or net, gross or net. Well, what do you want from the Lord? You want him to bless you on your gross or bless you on your net? And I mean that. Shrink, try to, try, to, try to negotiate with the God who gave us breath to breathe and lungs to enjoy it and eyes to see and legs to move. And where's your bill for your health? So when he says, out of all that I've blessed you with, and believe me, I want to bless you with more, Establish me as the center of your financial world by honoring me with the first 10%. Not the scraps, not the leftovers, not flipping him a quarter, not, oh yeah, God, be happy with this. He knows your math. And I know I'm kind of wound up about this because 40 years or so of doing this, I've run out, I don't have any more lines on my pieces of paper for couples and individuals and young people who stepped into this and established it as their way of doing and how God has incredibly blessed them and prospered them. And they're the ones who'd stand up right now and say, Pastor, would you please just, just time out and let me tell them. 
I hear that every time. So, so if, if there is lack, if there's not enough financial harvest coming in, first question for the believer, what are you doing with the first 10%? Now, the perfect law of liberty being manifest more completely in the book of Acts, check this out. This is Acts chapter 4. I promise I'll finish with this. But listen, listen to this. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. The great power. The apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus and Abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet for the distribution of those who needed it. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The first 10%, the top 10% is, is the beginning point. He may never press you to go past that. This is to be an indicator of what the Lord can do and how he can work his people. That you've got land you're trusting in, I'm gonna, I, I want you to give that over to me and I'll take care of you and others will be helped by what you've done. That, he did that in that day and there are other times when that has been done. But here, here's the point. You, you, you get to realizing how this actually works, that if I give, it's the trigger for God to begin to release some things that he's wanted to bring my way. Because he knows now I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be glutted by the material stuff. I'm not, I'm, it's not going to own me. And I want to give, and I want to bless, and I want to honor him. It's an amazing thing. We can say, oh, God, I want to know that you're real. I'm going to tell you, here's one of the best ways you can know that you're real, and some of you will know it before the week's out. If you've never done this or you've slipped away from doing this or, you, or, or for whatever reason it isn't happening and you're in a financially tight spot, make the choice. Malachi 3.10, make the choice. I'm starting here, Lord. First 10% belongs to you. And you said, test me now in this. Test me. Only place in the Bible I know he says that. Test me now in this financially. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great to be contained. Shirley and I, in our early years, we, we became so convinced of this, and her, her parents gave us a car to get through seminary years. I mean, it, you know, it was the heavy Chevy. It wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot, but it got us where we needed to get. And we got to reading this and these different things and hearing some teaching on it and, and just felt like we just needed to give that car away. Didn't have car number two. <laughs> give it away. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying we, and we did. Gave it to another couple. They had kids, and they, so well, some way or another, 
the Lord provided and got us in different places where, where we needed to be. And so we came to the conclusion that, you know, 10%, we, we just, that's not even really an offering. That, that's just what, that's the benefit, that, that's the tithe. So our convent, we, we just began with 20%. 20%. And, and I, I can tell you, <laughs> once you start down that road of seeing how the Lord has your street address, he knows what your needs are. He knows how to bless you and thrill you. And when it looks like it's less, it's really more because it's opening the door for heaven to do what heaven has been wanting to do in your life. That things are not an idol. Stuff can't own you. And so that's where it can begin, just that spot. Law of the harvest. Law of the harvest. Law of the harvest. You plant no seeds, you get no harvest. Plant the right seeds, get the harvest you want. Plant the wrong seeds, and it works that way too. You plant the wrong seeds, and the wrong stuff grows up. Sometimes we have to outlive our harvests of unrighteousness, don't we? Let that stuff come in, and it flowers, and it flourishes, and but it will pass away, and it will be taken over by the seeds of rightness, righteousness that we've sown in time. Now, folks, I believe that everything I've said to you is the gospel truth. I, I, I believe that if you will step out, if you'll keep doing what you're doing, you will keep honoring the Lord, you'll keep sowing these seeds, you will see a harvest. It will come in. And even in, in specifically where there is financial lack, step into that as well. Step into that as well. Read Malachi 3.10. Open it up to Malachi 3.10. Put it over your chest. Do this. Lord, you said it. Here's the math. Here's the check. Here, I've done it. And I trust you. I trust you. So then when something comes loose, you know, I got, I got fired from a church during those days. Um, not for things you ought to get fired for, just because... Just Revival came and, and things went a different way. It doesn't mean that stuff can't change. But hear what I'm telling you. Never missed a bite of food. Never missed a house payment. Never missed nothing during that time. He has a way when you have honored him. He has a way of committing to take care of you even when famine strikes. He has a way of making what you have go farther. And he has a way of bringing in what you never saw coming and cause it to happen. I dare you, I dare you, I dare you. Step into that. Trust him. See what happens. Okay. End of whatever this is this morning. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Bless you for being here. You know, we're not always going to all be at Alamo City. We're not always going to live in San Antonio. We're not going to always have the same faces that we're close to right now. But these principles from the Word of God, when he says it is a law, when he says you do this and I commit to doing this, it won't matter where you live, how old you get, what part of the world you may be in, or the circumstances around you. God's Word, God's law is settled forever in heaven. You can count on it. It doesn't matter where you go, he's already there. It doesn't matter what comes your way, he's already above it. It may be over your head, but it's still under his feet. 
and we hold on to that. We hold on to that. Lord, I, I just ask you to take this wherever this needs to go today. That you'll help my brothers and sisters to forget some stuff that isn't relevant, that they don't even need to mess with. But Lord, you will cause the things that you're wanting to really speak to us individually. You'll cause those things to burn in our hearts, Lord, that we won't be able to forget it. We won't be able to get away from it because it's life and it's truth and it's healing and it's our future and it's our hope. Lord, help us. Help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.